Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Welcome to episode 22. Um, this is a requested episode from Instagram. So today we talk about donor eggs and IVF and egg donation abroad. So when I originally recorded this episode, I was actually way back at the end of April. And in light of recent events, considering um, doing some of these procedures abroad, maybe something that is coming up for you and maybe you're um, thinking about different options depending on where you are in the U.S. Um, so luckily, Sarah Kowalski of Motherhood Reimagined shares her experience um, and her client's experiences uh, with using egg donors abroad and domestically. If you want to hear Sarah's story, you can listen to episode seven, where she shares her path to independent parenthood and coming to terms with needing an egg donor. So today we focus primarily on the egg donor process, and she shares what her experience was like in going abroad and researching um, using egg donors abroad. Um, now, we don't specifically go into what this experience is like with a partner for say like an actual IVF cycle. Um, I have someone sharing that experience in a few months. Um, she went through IVF in Mexico and is now doing a cycle in the US. And after her um, US cycle, she and I are going to have a conversation so she can give us better insight into the pros and cons of going abroad versus um, staying in the US. So just um, a thought. So that will be coming. Um, so this one um, focuses primarily on egg donors. Um, I also have a fertility attorney coming on soon as well. The episode has been recorded. Um, it will be released soon in probably the next month or so. And um, we kind of talk about the issues um, that come up from a legal perspective. Um, I also plan on speaking with Dr. Rahi Victory. He was on a previous episode and he's decided to come back and we'll discuss his um, egg donor program in Canada in the event that you were closer to the Canadian border as opposed to the Mexican border um, in the U.S. or if you're traveling from um, Canada and you want to know about um, options or from the U.K. Um, I know I have listeners in the U.K. and Canada as well. So um, if you are traveling from another country and want to know um, donor um, egg programs um, that maybe a little bit more cost-effective than in the U.S., um, these might be great options for you. Um, I'm hoping to connect with someone that can give us some European options for IVF and egg donor. I'm still working on that, but that is coming, so stay tuned. Um, domestically, there are some cost-saving programs, and I've linked them in the show notes for you also. CNY has a program um, that we briefly talk about with Sarah. And then Dr. Amy, the Egg Whisperer, she has the Freeze and Share program, which is also nice. She'll be coming on, um, well, we've already recorded it, but I'll be releasing the episode soon where we talk about the Freeze and Share program as well. So um, those are options. Um, in where I am now um, in our process, I'm still struggling with the fact that I may need an egg donor. And since I'm in the middle of all this, I'm still trying to evaluate what is the best option for me. There's a lot to consider when um, choosing these options. And I want to fully explore this, not just for me, but for you as well. So I plan on having um, a recipient parent on um, I want to say in the next kind of month or two when we can get our schedules coordinated. And this is a very, very special warrior story because um, not only are they a recipient parent, but they're also donor conceived. So they have really seen both sides of it being a donor conceived person and also being a recipient parent. Um, I think this is a very, very unique perspective that I'm so excited to share. So that will be coming. 
If you're interested, um, I do have um, episode 10 with Emma, um, and she is a donor-conceived person, so if you want to hear her perspective, um, that's a nice episode to listen to as well. I'll link that in the show notes for you, both episode 10 and episode 7. So I just have to say, and I'm sure you know, um, egg donation is a super, super complex topic and I know that I can't cover it all in one episode so I am trying to uh, make sure that I get as much in as I can you know I do I'm trying to find um, therapists who specialize in um, you know donor conception and kind of the grief that comes with um, grieving the loss of your genetics so I'm still working on that I haven't gotten very many um, responses back about those who focus on that. So unfortunately, um, I'm still working on that for you. Um, But if you know of any therapists that focus on this, let me know. I have reached out to some, um, but I haven't heard back or um, they've kind of fallen off. (laughs) So um, I'm still going to look, I'm still going to try and get as much information to you guys as I can. Um, I really, really hope this is helpful for you. Obviously, if you find value in this, I have always um, been really grateful for a five-star review or written review so that we can get as many um, ears listening to this as possible and to get this out to as many people as we can just to help them along their journey. Um, So if you can, please make sure you share. Please make sure you leave a review. Um, and, uh, that's about it for now. So here we go. Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So Make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Hey everyone, we're back and today we're with Sarah Kowalski of Motherhood Reimagined and we are going to be talking about donors. So welcome back, Sarah. Thanks so much for coming back. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So we have, I think after our last um, talk, we talked some about donor conception and just kind of um, a part of the process of getting there, but I kind of wanted to take a deeper dive today into some donor options. So um, thanks so much for taking the time to kind of really like take a deep dive and explore all the potential options for finding a donor. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. So for those who did not hear your episode, can we just get a quick like recap on your fertility journey and kind of um, how you ended up where you were? Yeah. Yeah. So I um, around 39, I was unpartnered and a mentor sort of said to me like, hey, by the way, if you want to have kids, you better start thinking about it. Um, It had never crossed my mind that I was at a period of my life that I needed to start thinking about it. I had totally believed, I think, that it was easy to get pregnant in your 40s and I still had time. And then I sort of paused and I was like, oh, right, I'm already 39. So I guess I do have to get on this. So it was quite a process for me to decide whether or not I wanted to do it alone. Um, And then along the way, while I was still kind of processing whether or not I even wanted to do it alone. I found out that I was more than likely infertile and would have to use donor eggs. Um, So I did end up trying for about a year, year and a half um, with my own eggs, doing mainly IUIs and medicated IUIs and doing lots of supplements and naturopaths and kind of everything out there. Um, And eventually um, gave up on that, realized that I sort of set this like time and money limit and it got to the end of that and felt like it was like, okay, I'm complete and I can move on to donor eggs. So I did move on to donor eggs and I ended up going to Mexico and using a donor there. So basically double donor because I'm a single woman. And now I actually have an eight year old, um, that I conceived on my first try, uh, from a donor egg in Mexico. 
Yeah, I know. I was lucky enough after our, our last episode to get to meet him. So he's, <laughs> yes, he's a great kiddo. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love it. He's got spunk, which is good. He's got, he's got spunk, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> well, I kind of want to talk a little bit about um, the process of getting to that donor um, space, like finding yourself in that donor space. Cause it's not easy. And we kind of talked about this a little bit too, but can we talk about how you got to that space? Because sure. I, I would imagine that it's not easy. I don't feel like for me, it's easy. Cause I'm still in that space where I'm not quite ready to mm-hmm. jump into that space. I'm like sticking a toe in, right? Yeah. Like I'm on some of these like egg donor websites and I'm kind of looking from afar. I'm just like perusing. So I'm trying to get myself to that point. But how how did you get there? Yeah, so I feel like I think a lot of it is that like dipping your toe in the water um, and kind of like warming yourself up to that idea. And, um, you know, I think it's it's a process. So I think you have to like take your time, dip your toe in the water. I really believe that it's it's like you have to satisfy the head and all the like details and understand the process and the options and the prices and kind of understand how that works. But then you have to like learn all of that and then be able to step back and kind of tap into your heart and your gut. And I think it was, I know we talked about this last time that it was like at a moment when the doctor kind of called into question whether or not I would even be able to carry a child because my lining wasn't thickening when we were doing IUIs. And it was like, that just like snapped me into like, oh my God, all I want is a mom to be a mom. And so I think having sort of like gone through all these other pieces of like understanding it so that it wasn't so foreign, then I could embrace it at that time. Um, but I, I work a lot with women who are on this cusp of like, when do I decide to give up on my own eggs and move to donor eggs? And I really think it's like, it's like a, it's a balancing of like being financially smart, like recognizing how much it costs and kind of reserving some budget for using donor eggs. I think some people get to a place where they're just like, oh my God, I just, I don't want to be X number of years old when I have a kid. So if I kind of do reverse math, like by this age, I have to move on to donor eggs. Um, I think some people like their mental health is just taking such an incredible toll. And in that case, I feel like when I'm talking to them, it's like giving them permission to move on. And like recognizing like it's okay to not feel like you exhausted every single option. Like if, if you just like, yeah, how do you want to emerge from this? Um, and yeah, so time, money, mental health and just, and, and I think, you know, a little bit of pragmatism of like, what are your odds that your doctor is giving you? So I think it's kind of like constantly looking at those and kind of asking yourself, like, what is it, like, what is it going to take to feel like I did my best? What, like, what would doing my best look like? Um, so that, you know, when you get to a place of like, okay, I've done enough because I think you can get to a place where it's like many doctors will let you keep trying for as long as you want, but, and that's great. And like, I think it can get, it's like almost like a, Like, how do you know when to stop? Like, okay. So I think kind of setting some of these parameters for yourself, like when I was doing it, I set up a financial budget and a time budget. Um, And then when I got to that, I exceeded both of those by a few months, a couple thousand dollars, because I just wasn't quite ready. But I think still having that amount that I then kind of was like, okay, I got to the amount. Now I need to like make a choice and kind of move on. So I yeah. think a lot of it for me, I feel like I, I mean, I would love, this is not reality, but I would love the opportunity to try until I had nothing left. You know what I mean? I think a lot of us probably if money was of no issue, it was not a barrier. I think a lot of us would say, you know what, I'll keep doing it until I've run out of eggs, at least at our age, when you have you know, diminished ovarian reserve, maybe even, you know, if you're not our age and you have diminished ovarian reserve, but 
like being an older person and knowing that my time will come when I have to stop where I won't have a choice but to stop. You know, mm-hmm. I almost feel like I want to keep going until I hit that. Spot. Well, I do want to keep going until right. I hit that spot. But that's it's not realistic because I am not independently wealthy. <laughs> I have not won the lottery as of yet. I don't know. Maybe I will. But as of right now, I've not yet won the lottery. <laughs> I am not financially independent. So it's not necessarily an option for me. But I also have not set a money limit. It doesn't mean I have like uh, unlimited wealth. It just means that I hadn't thought about it because I think I'm afraid that if I hit that limit... Mm-hmm. and I'm not ready, then I feel like, what do I do next? Yeah. So I, I know along this path to getting to a donor, there are a lot of feelings people feel. Mm-hmm. And in your episode, you talked a little bit about how you felt, but if we can kind of review that a little bit and then maybe talk about from your client's perspective, what are the most common, um, I guess, barriers to to using a donor? Like what do people usually struggle with in moving on to the, to finding a donor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it brings up such incredible feelings of like my body failed me. I mean, I think it's like this fundamental thing that we assume as women that we're supposed to do. And so I think it, it really like goes to such the core of who we are. Um, and that is, it's really hard to grapple with, right? It's like, you don't, Mm -hmm. I don't even think we have a model necessarily. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. And I don't know, I think it was like, for me, it was all the, like the science of epigenetics kind of put my mind at ease kind of, I think zooming out and sort of thinking about like, what do I think makes a person, who they really are, like, what are the influences? And I think when you think about that, you're like, so many people believe so strongly in nature, I mean, sorry, nurture. Mm -hmm. And so then they're like, oh, wait, but I really believe in like upbringing, it has a huge role in this. And so why am I so hung up on my own eggs? Um, I think that's one thing that kind of helps people. And then just kind of recognizing that this egg is, you know, this embryo is going to grow inside of you and that it's like growing from your blood and cells. And, um, there's all this amazing science about like finding DNA of the baby in the mother's brain. And then later on finding like, even like we were talking about the NIPT test recently, which is like the blood test to figure out the like genetics of the, like whether the baby is genetically normal at like 10 weeks. And there's basically, there's enough of the baby's genetic material in the mother's blood to be able to know whether or not the baby is normal. And like, if you think Mm. about that, like that's just like mind blowing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh wow, there's like this incredible interchange. So I think those kinds of like scientific pieces kind of started to help me become more clear. Um, And then like silly experiences, like looking at my dog and being like, oh my God, I adopted my dog and I've never felt like this wasn't my, like the most amazing dog and perfectly my dog and that kind of thing. Um, so those, and yeah, I think there's lots of, you just don't know what those experiences are going to be that like suddenly hit you and you're like, okay, I'm okay with this. Mm -hmm. But I would say when I'm working with clients, I mean, I think that people are really worried that they're not going to bond with the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's actually in some ways easier as a single, I felt like it was very weird and I had to kind of grapple with like, if I'm going to use double donors, why am I not just adopting? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think people do have that judgment sometimes of single moms Mm -hmm. who use both an egg and sperm donor. Um, Mm -hmm. But I still think if you want to carry and all the amazing science around carrying and that kind of thing. And just in many ways being using an egg donor could actually be cheaper and faster than adopting. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I do hear women that are married sort of saying like, am I going to resent my partner if they have a genetic Mm. link and I don't, Mm -hmm. and am I going to always feel like this baby isn't mine and it's his and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say that most of those women afterwards come back to me and say, Oh my God, I can't believe I ever thought that, but I get why that it feels that way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that's a really big one. But I think just in general, sort of that, like the bigger picture, like, am I going to bond? Um, and that, I mean, that's why I think I mentioned, maybe mentioned this last time, the whole entire reason I originally started my podcast and even wrote my book was wanting to kind of capture that sentiment that like over and over and over again, all these women who used egg donors and were like, Oh my God, I got the baby I was meant to have. I've never looked Mm -hmm. back. It's Mm -hmm. like the most magical experience. And I don't feel any less connected to my child than I think I, I mean, obviously you don't know what to compare it to, but I can't imagine loving a human more than this. And so, Mm -hmm. so that was really the original Genesis of my podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, there's, I've never met a woman out there who after having a child hasn't felt bonded. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, you know, some people do struggle to bond postpartum mm-hmm. regardless. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think, uh, barring that, like sort of maybe three to six month period where you're struggling to bond because it's just really hard. Um, but kind of beyond that, I think, I don't think there's anything other than that kind of normal phenomenon that can occur where people struggle to bond. But I think long-term you don't, you really and truly do not think differently about the child. Um, but there's something like in our brains that like, you're supposed to be genetically related. And I think that's the part I think is so fascinating is because it's like when you drill down, it's like, what is, what are genes and why, like, we don't have personal experience with them necessarily. And so I try and help people see that it's really this idea and it's not and help them kind of see like, okay, if I can just like lessen my grip on that, I can, but I think people want to see like a mini me of themselves. Like I know that that was one of my biggest desires was I had always been so fascinated by the idea of seeing what I would pass on and then also seeing the effect of nature versus nurture. So, and you know, every once in a while I look at my kid and I go, huh, I wonder what he would have been like if he was like, what would he look like? What would his traits be like? But it's like a fleeting and not a fleeting thought and not like not filled with trauma or upset in any way. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, that would be, yeah, I can see why it's curious to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause for me, I think I, my, my concern, and I think I talked about this last time too, is like around the bonding and then maybe not resentment toward a partner or anything, but maybe more like just feeling like an outcast. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Feeling like I don't belong mm-hmm. because I'm the only one that doesn't share anything with the mm-hmm. child. You know what I mean? So like I, I think about that and, and feeling like, oh, I'm all, all I did was carry, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, so I wonder about that sometimes, obviously it's hard to know. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I think, would push back on that because of all the science of epigenetics yeah, and how much they're finding out that the in uterine experience is like so incredibly crucial to what genes turn on and off. So you have this mm-hmm. amazing role in what genes express and what genes don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like that's definitely one thing I think about. And then two, the kind of, you know, you spoke to this a little bit, but kind of the grief around mm-hmm. what you had pictured in your brain. You know what I mean? And part yeah. of that is like, what would I have passed on? And what would they look like if they were a mini me? And mm-hmm. I think part of that society pushes on us because we we are so focused on like, oh, you know, like if you meet someone's kid, they're like, oh, they look just like you. That's one of the things that people will Mm -hmm. say when they meet your kid, usually like, you know, within the first however, they're like, oh, they look so much like you or whatever. Right. Because that's supposed to be a compliment. Right. But I think, you know, what's fascinating is that I think that like people say that to me and my kid looks nothing like me. (laughs) People project that people totally project that onto people. But it's also, I would say, super eerie that the majority of women I know that use donor eggs like look so much like their kid. It's like so weird. It's it's really, really weird. You're like, oh, wow, you I would have never guessed that that was not your child. And I would say most people I know. Like I did not look for a donor who looked like me. 
that wasn't what I was looking for. I think some people do and some people don't. Like, I think it's more common to try and match what you look like in looking for an egg donor than a sperm donor as a, as a single woman anyways. Um, but I still don't think it's, it's not the loudest. It's like not the, always the most, um, important thing to people. And yet I still feel like a lot of women end up looking so much like their children. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can understand how some people, um, you know, because of, you know, certain medical problems and things like that, that are passed down genetically and wanting to know the medical Mm -hmm. history so that, you know, what your future might look like medically and that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. I I can understand from that point of view, really wanting to understand the genetics of it, you know, like, you know, Mm -hmm. if there's a history of cancer in the family or Alzheimer's or something like that. So like I can, you know, I can understand that, but I, I do also, for me anyway, I do also find that I think a lot about the genetics and I mean, you know, I, you make a lot of great points and I'm not saying that what I feel is correct. I'm just saying that those are the things that I battle with internally when I, in coming to terms with using an egg donor, because I think there's, for me anyway, I feel like there's a lot of grief around, um, around my body failing me, like you said, and then, also around um just like the the whole experience of like you know what i thought i wanted or needed or you know um and then there's regret from you know like because i wish i had known if i had known when i was younger then i i could have done something about it and you know now i can't and just kind of the regret tied to that so you know after you're able to move through some of the stuff emotionally or, you know, whatever you feel like you need to move through to get to selecting a donor, what happens next? You get to that space and you're like, okay, I've processed my feelings. I'm ready to do this now. What happens next? Sure. So, I mean, I think you have, you have to make a lot of choices. And, um, so I think just from like a process standpoint, in case people don't know, basically it's like your donor is going through an IVF cycle and then you are only doing the part that would be like preparing for a transfer. So, um, you get to, you know, you get to sit back for a lot of the actual process of it, which is nice. Um, so I think some of the big questions you have to decide are whether or not you want to use like a fresh or frozen egg. So whether or not you're going to basically sync your cycle and be ready to do the transfer as soon as she's finished the IVF cycle and the embryos have been, um, or the eggs have been fertilized and created into embryos, um, or whether you're going to use a donor from an egg bank. Um, in which case you can sort of have, you can decide when you're going to do the transfer and then the embryos get created and they've timed that. And so it can be a bit simpler that way. Um, you also have to make some choices around, um, open ID or not. So, um, now a lot of the egg banks have open ID donors. So in the same way as a sperm bank where you can find out the identity of the donor when at the time your child turns 18 and you can have contact. Um, so that's at least an, a, a, a available. Like when I was looking into it, it had just been declared not experimental to use frozen eggs and there was nothing like a frozen, like frozen egg banks were completely anonymous, but now you can find them. Um, and then there's basic like your your clinic will likely have a program. It might be very small, so you could probably pick. They'll probably present you some, with some donors, and you could decide um, whether you were going to use a fresh or frozen egg through them. Um, they may even have a, a, a whole different conversation, but embryos from people who finish cycles who aren't gonna who aren't gonna use their embryos. So sometimes you can um, pursue that. Um, So, and then, so you could go through your clinic or you could go through like an agency and an agency, you have to figure out kind of like which clinics, which agencies deal with your clinic. Same thing with the egg banks, like not all clinics will deal with all egg banks. So you kind of have to figure out like which ones are kind of in your 
would be an option. Um, and then once you with, as I mentioned with like the fresh donor, you'd have to sync your cycles, um, which can take a bit of time. Not probably not more than six weeks to kind of sync your cycles. Um, and prepare, like basically starting to take the estrogen to thicken your lining. And then around the time that they trigger the donor and retrieve the eggs, you switch to like a mix of progesterone and estrogen, just like you would for a transfer. And then they would grow the embryos and you're doing some mix of estrogen and progesterone and whatever else your doctor is doing. Um, and then once they do the transfer, um, you're on progesterone for another for usually about 10 weeks because your body's not naturally producing progesterone. So 10 weeks is around the time that the, the placenta kicks in and starts, um, producing, um, progesterone. And then I would say, you know, with like an agency, I feel like there's, there's like the opportunity to, from what I've heard, like at an agency level, you can kind of decide what the relationship with the egg donor is. Like I know someone who went through an agency and actually met her future egg donor and they've stayed in like very minimal contact. Like she sends her like, I think a picture or a letter once a year. Um, and so you could, you know, decide to do something like that or completely anonymous. Um, and it would be kind of like a mutually decided thing. I would say in general, the more money you pay, the more options you have for more contact, which is kind of a bummer that it's kind of tied to how much you can afford that it costs, how it affects the cost. Um, yeah. And then donor eggs, I would say the eggs at an egg bank. So if you do a fresh cycle, you're going to get all, usually get all of the eggs that she produces, which they're usually young. So that could be. 20 some odd eggs, but there's actually no, usually no guarantee that she will be successful in the cycle. So you could pay all this money for her to go through IVF and have it not succeed. And there's usually no, um, refund or anything from the clinic if she has a failed cycle. Um, whereas with donor eggs, you usually buy like a lot of like, it's usually between six and eight eggs. And, um, you could kind of reserve like more of her eggs if you wanted in some cases. Um, and then they usually make um, a guarantee that there's one transfer quality embryo. It's sometimes two transfer quality embryos. So it's like you're not going to end up with that many embryos in the best case scenario, because if you imagine you're starting with six eggs, um, although very young, um, healthy eggs, but you at least have that guarantee of like the one to two transfer quality embryos. Um, and then the other thing with using an agency is that sometimes those people have been fully vetted at the time that you pick them. Like you would be looking through a catalog and be like, Oh, I'm interested in her. And if she hasn't donated before, it's very possible that she hasn't done the psych eval or the medical eval or all of those things that would make her eligible to actually donate. So you could have to wait like a, a very, I mean, I would say like fresh could take up to six months, whereas like frozen, you could do a transfer like within a month, probably if you wanted. Um, so those are some of the differences. And then it's in general cheaper to use um, egg donor, I mean, ba egg bank mm -hmm. from like frozen egg bank. Mm -hmm eggs yeah if there's anything i learned in this whole fertility process is that there are no guarantees and that anything can happen <laughs> yeah, so i'm like those are some things to so consider true. um but also yeah. with a fresh if you chose fresh eggs or a fresh donor mm -hmm. then um w wouldn't you be responsible for like you have to pay for all their fees right so um I, th I think when I was looking into it, when my clinic was telling me about it, like I had to pay for insurance coverage for them in case, you know, anything happens during the cycle. Like, are there any other costs like that we had kind of have to know about and doing? I mean, I think they, I think when you're working with an agency, they're just going to like give you a lump sum. Like they're not going to probably, I mean, they might itemize it for you, but yes, I think you could, if it's possible, I don't know. 
um, how different agencies work, but like that you, if it's the first time she's ever donated and she has to be screened, that you're paying for all that screening, she's getting a fee for donating that's anywhere from like five to $15,000 for donating. Yeah. Plus the insurance coverage that you're paying for hers. So obviously if you're doing frozen eggs, that's been like, those costs have been distributed amongst more people. Um, so and kind of are factored into the price that you're paying. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the average cost is between or, you know, with a fresh and then uh, frozen? Do you know, like on average? Yeah, I know that I think if you're going through an agency, it could be anywhere from like probably around 30,000 minimum to about 50,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and the using a donor bank mm-hmm. like a frozen bank um i think the eggs that like the lot of eggs is about twelve thousand mm-hmm. that you're paying for mm-hmm. and then whatever your clinic charges on top of that so probably around like 18 to like 22 24 thousand mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's close <laughs> it's like it's i mean you know if you're looking on the low end of the right. agencies and I'm sure the high end right. probably can get, you know, much higher depending on, yeah. you know, w- the, if there are specialty things to look for or whatever, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but so, okay. So let's say, um, these are cost prohibitive and they are for a lot of people, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. what are some, are there other ways we can kind of work around some of this? I mean, what else can we do if this is like looking really, really tough for us, especially because if a lot of us have gone through multiple cycles, like we're financially, yeah. we're pretty strapped. Like what are our other options? What can we do? Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned embryo donation. So there are people out there who will donate their embryos and, you know, don't want any compensation for it. And so you're just paying for the cost of the transfer and maybe some like administrative fees through your clinic. Um, and there's many, many ways to look at that. I can send you some links for ways to do that. There's, there's like clearing houses that will like take eggs, like embryos from various clinics. Like when the clinics are like, we don't know what to do with them. Um, and then you can kind of work through the clearing house and there's ways of like deciding how much contact you want to have with the original parents, that kind of thing. Um, there's also, there's an organization, there's a couple, there's a couple clinics that have like really crazy low prices like people like cny you buy like per egg and i believe it's like 1500 per egg and then it's like you could be the whole price could be around nine grand like nine or ten grand um there's an organization called california conceptions in sacramento that kind of pairs um well i know it from the perspective of single moms using it. So then they pair like a sperm and an egg donor together and they, you would get this may use the same sperm and egg combo as someone else as well, but it's about was 12,000. It might be around 15,000 now, but you get three tries. And at the end of, if you're not pregnant after those three tries, you can either get a refund at that point, or you can basically like double down and have another three tries and like forfeit your money. So basically you could get up to six tries for like 15,000. Um, but you lose a lot of control over who the egg donor is. And I don't actually know exactly how the program works for partnered people, but I know they have a program. Um, and then there's going abroad. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did was Mm -hmm. going abroad, which was, you know, I don't even know that I want to say the price that I paid. Yeah. But I did it eight years ago, and it was six thousand five. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes, and it's definitely gone up from there, but not like most of the clinic that I went to. I think is now nine thousand, and that includes like a year of storage, two transfers, all of her meds. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot, a lot cheaper, and that's usually like a fro a fresh transfer. I'm like speechless <laughs> like I know, I know i'm like i don't know if i want to tell you how little i paid but it was eight years ago nine years ago now i guess oh my gosh like 
<laughs> That's such a huge difference. I know. Yeah, it really is. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, and I know that when I was researching it, Europe, which we can talk about some, yeah. kind of some of the differences between all the different countries, but Europe was like five grand at the time that I did it. So, oh my. and you can also do donor embryos abroad as well. Oh. Um, so you could also still the same situation where there's people who have donor embryos and haven't made a choice about, or, you know, want to donate those to people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, okay. So who, who should look at, cause I'm sure after hearing this, some people like ears have perked up. I think people are like, wait, what? So I know. So are there certain people that maybe shouldn't think about going abroad or are there certain people who should think about going abroad? Like, who do you think would be a good person to consider going abroad? Sure. So, I mean, I think you have to, it is a different process. It's not, I mean, it's wherever you decide to go, it's a different culture they run things differently. So I think you have to be able, you you have to let go to a lot of the things that you would be expecting or wanting in the U.S. So, you know, communication with the clinic that I went to was pretty good. But like I like I always tell people, like, make sure you number your questions and like, you know, make sure like reread it and make sure there's no like colloquialisms that they're not going to catch or that you're like not saying it without like referring back to what it is so that there's no confusion and that kind of thing. Um, and then I was, I'm just one of those people who like researches everything and knew like the nitty gritty of the process. And so I was always wanting like tons of info and it wasn't, it's like a different, I mean, sometimes I would say not that much different than some of the fertility clinics that are like, you're like talking to the patient, portal, whatever person who doesn't get back to you. So in some respects, maybe it's comparable to going through some clinics where you, when I, where I hear a lot of frustration about how the communication with the, like, you're never actually really talking to your doctor and that kind of thing. But I think you have to expect that there's going to be confusion and that you have to be able to kind of relax through that. Um, And I think you have to just generally have an affinity for whatever country you decide to go to so that you're not constantly like feeling mistrustful or, um, hesitant. Um, and in general, I feel like there, it was just more of a leap of faith in general. Like I was always asking the clinic things and they were like, don't worry, Sarah, don't worry. And, um, at the end I was sort of laughing at it and I was like, Oh my God, like they're not letting me be my usual, sort of like detailed mm-hmm. manager <laughs> and it was frustrating, but I was like, you know what? This is actually probably really good for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I have to just be on vacation on the beach in Mexico <laughs> and let them handle it. Yeah. Um, and I did get pregnant on the first try. Yeah. So maybe that, maybe that was part of it. I don't know, <laughs> but you have to be ready. I think to just really trust who, wherever you're going and, um, and let go more than maybe you would in the U.S. Did you did you look at different countries? I did. What countries? So I, yeah. So I had originally the whole entire reason it came onto my radar was that I was when I was trying in the U.S. One of my best one of my best friends like sisters was there, and she's an OBGYN in in South America. And she was like, oh, did you know that like you could do donor egg in Chile for like less than five grand? And I know the person who organizes it and I could get it all set up for you. Um, And so that was my original idea. Um, But you basically because of the laws there, like the donors have to remain anonymous. And so they basically ask you for like, what's your phenotype, meaning like your hair, eye color, height, Um, a little bit about like your background and then they basically like create a match for you. And in my case, that was going to be the sperm and the egg donor. And so you, and they, you send pictures of yourself and they sort of find someone that they think is a good match and they won't even really tell you any details. They're just like, here's your match. So you just like show up and just be like, okay, I'm ready. And then you'd like, would just get transferred. Yeah. Yeah. And I just decided I could not do that. So I realized that most of Europe is actually like that. Someone keeps, I feel like someone was telling me recently that there are a couple countries in Europe 
that are no longer like that. But in general, the laws are that the donor has to remain anonymous. And so that's why that process is like that. So and then I really wanted to not only be able to choose the donor, but see pictures of the donor. And so I figured out that it was like at the time, South Africa, Mexico, Panama and Czechoslovakia that allowed you to see pictures. Um, and Mexico actually allows you to see adult pictures. So that was part of why I chose Mexico, but also because it like fell into place that I had a friend who was there and would like go with me and that kind of thing. So I think, you know, just noticing like where the synergies are showing up and where it kind of is feeling easy and kind of allowing yourself to follow that. Um, but now I know that like, because I have a client who just went to Russia, but she researched clinics in Russia, Czechoslovakia, Ukraine, and now like maybe even Estonia that you could go to. And you can, so what I did was I shipped sperm. I didn't want to use, so they have all this information about the egg donors in Mexico, but not a lot of information about the sperm donors, which was kind of weird. So I shipped sperm from the US and then used the egg donor in Mexico. And similarly, my client um, who went to Eastern Europe shipped sperm from the, a Danish sperm bank in Europe that would ship. Um, so those are kind of some of the cons considerations, I think, of like what kinds of pictures you want to be able to see and um, whether you're willing to kind of do it completely like they're matching, creating a match for you. Although I would say like when I was referencing all these people, I know that like look so much like their kids. Many of them used California conceptions where I don't think you can see pictures of the egg donor. You get a really detailed profile, but you don't get to see pictures of the egg donor and or went to abroad and did do the matching and so many of them look so much like their kids oh it's kind gosh. of crazy yeah yeah so if you were interested in exploring these options abroad how <laughs> like where do you go i don't even know because i know people have asked i'm like i have no idea where i would start like how do you even look into right. this yeah i mean i feel like i mean people do do consults with me a lot because i do kind of know this like high level info um there is another woman whose name is C sue taylor and she has a organization called ivf traveler um it looks like she mainly works with europe now i feel like when i was doing it she kind of did more of an international but you can just kind of google like ivf egg donor ivf in mexico and things will come up um and, and then I think just kind of Google searching, like people find me all the time from things I've written and reach out and ask, like, what was your clinic like? Can you tell me the name of what your clinic was? That kind of thing. Um, but it is like IVF traveler or like IVF vacations. It's like a huge industry. Mm. It's not like obscure at all. Really? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. There's like, I mean, it can be very overwhelming, yeah. I think, of like where to, but, um, but it's not, it's not super obscure. Like you'd be surprised how many people are out there trying to help you. Like, I remember there was a couple that was like, they, they, like, I think the woman was Czechoslovakian, but had moved away and was like living in the U.S. and spoke perfect English. But she went and did an egg donor in Czechoslovakia and then set up a program where like her sister would meet you at the airport in a range where you were living and drive you to and from the clinic and, you know, like help you through the whole process. Um, so there's people out there who will, you know, help you with all of it, I would say. Um, but I know a lot about Mexico and I kind of know like high level information about other places. Mm -hmm. So let's say you you've come to the conclusion that you want to use an egg donor. You decided I'm not going to do egg donor in the U.S. I'm going to go abroad. You've selected your country. You've got your clinic. Now what happens? Um, I mean, I guess there's choices around like whether it's fresh or frozen and kind of when you're going to go. So um, it's pretty straightforward. Like they have it kind of down to a science where they can have you show up. Like if it's a fresh transfer, I think they recommend being there about seven days so that they can get the timing right. And if it's a frozen transfer, I think it's like five days or could be even less. So um, I showed up 
on a Monday, I had my lining checked. Um, ideally, the the part that can be difficult is that you need like some like at this point, like you've probably done a million things with your fertility clinic, but like they may not be that willing to kind of help you prep for an egg donor cycle if you tell them you're not going to work with them. So if you haven't had that like hysteroscopy and all these other things to like kind of check your uterine lining, you do need someone to like prescribe estrogen to start thickening your lining. So that part can be tricky. I was lucky that my OBGYN was willing to work with me and kind of like accept it, like looked at the protocol thought it looked reasonable and was like willing to prescribe the estrogen. Really, it was only estrogen because by the time I, I could get the progesterone from the clinic when I got there. Um, but if that part gets really tricky and you can't figure out sort of those, those baseline tests and or getting estrogen somehow, you may have to go to the country for one visit where they would do a lot of those tests. They can do like one of my clients went and did like the receptiva and the ERA in the country that she was going to, um, and then came home and then, and then, and bought all the medication with her that she needed for the transfer. Um, and then went back for her transfer. But in my case, I was able to get the, I had kind of done all the tests that I needed to do leading up to that part of, as part of like all of my other fertility stuff, um, and all my other attempts, I was able to get the estrogen through my OBGYN. So I just showed up on a Monday. They checked my lining and sort of confirmed that my lining was doing well. And then around the time that they estimated that she was going to trigger and have her retrieval, they switched me to like progesterone and oil shots in addition to the estrogen. And then they retrieved her eggs, fertilized them, waited to day five. And I was sort of like ready to go, showed up um, on day five for my transfer. So I was there, I think I was there for 10 days cause I was kind of vacationing, but I probably could have done it in seven. And then I flew home, did the pregnancy test and then, um, ended up going straight to my OBGYN because again, I wasn't sort of then in the care of my fertility doctor, but you know, depending on what your relationship with your fertility doctor is, you might be able to, um, do that through your fertility doctor. Mm -hmm. So did that answer your yes, question? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Because I, I didn't know what would happen. Like, I don't I don't know if you can, like, ship things back to the U.S. Or maybe if you're partnered and you want to use your partner's sperm or whatever, sure. like how. So your partner would have to show up with you more than likely. Um, they might if like their travel wasn't going to work with you they could probably show up whenever, like at some point in time before the retrieval and donate sperm, you know, or like basically give a sperm sample. Um, so they would likely have to be there sort of similar timing to you. And then, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know if it's possible to ship them back to the U S I know you and I were kind of talking about that. It looks like there's a, a series of tests from the FDA that you would have to, like your donor would have had to go through to even consider being able to ship them back to the U.S. Um, but I think in most cases, like the transfer is going to be a fraction, like a subsequent transfer is going to be like a fraction of the price that it would in the U.S. and the cost of shipping them back to the U.S. that you might just be better off going back to that country. Now I have clients, one client who did a transfer in South Africa and another one, as I mentioned in Russia and yeah, that travel gets expensive, but even still, I feel like they felt like it was cheaper than doing it in the U S yeah. And one of them got the one who went to South Africa, got pregnant on the first try. So she was lucky. She only had to do one, um, trip. And the woman who went to Russia, unfortunately, did not get pregnant on her first try. So she does have to figure out now what in the world to do, because this was pre-invasion yeah. that she went. Yeah. So, yeah. so then I guess I didn't even think about that. So if you have like, so whatever, if you decide to do, because I, I, you could do both fresh or frozen abroad too, right? 
Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because so whatever embryos you're like, in my case, my donor had several embryos. So they then like I transferred one fresh and then they got frozen. Mm -hmm. So similar to what they would do in the U.S. And so you could keep going back for subsequent transfer. I didn't even like think about that. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, if it does fail, then you would have to go back and do that whole thing and however time how much time you have to spend there to get your lining checked and all that stuff and make sure right. that from a medication perspective i guess unless like you said your doctor it would be here a lot easier i think right i mean i think the subsequent ones at least like the amount of time you'd have to show up would be quite short um but yeah it would be kind of a bummer yeah oh i didn't even think about that um mm-hmm. oh okay so um now that you've gone through it and i guess essentially if you're you know if you're just doing the egg donor or if you're partnered then ivf is essentially going to just be the same because you still have to do the transfer and then your partner would provide the sperm so ultimately cost is probably still pretty close to what you had mentioned for egg donor right i mean i think it's even cheaper to do ivf i mean i guess because you're basically paying for someone else. You're paying for like a whole entire IVF cycle because you're paying, but it's just different people compete completing it. So yeah. like the donor's doing the retrieval, but she gets a fee for that. Mm-hmm. So you would take that, like the fee that she's getting paid, you wouldn't, would be a part of the cost that would be less. Oh, I see what you're and saying. Then yeah, you yeah, would yeah. Be doing, right, yeah. Right, and right, then right. you would be doing the, doing the transfer still. So I think it can be quite a bit cheaper um, even to do IVF abroad. Um, but I think I don't, this is complete assumption. I don't really know, but I feel like, like once you move to donor egg, like I feel like it stops being kind of rocket science because it's young, fresh eggs. And I feel like if you're really struggling to get pregnant, I don't, I don't know this, but I would question like, is it the state of the art where you're going? And do you, I think when you're trying to do IVF on your own, you kind of need that state of the art unless you're really young or an easy case. But at the point when you're like on the cusp of maybe using an egg donor, um, although I do know also people who do what's called a tandem cycle. And so they go and they do an IVF cycle, but they've already, and then they're, they choose an egg donor who's either already done a cycle or doing a cycle at the same time. And they basically decide that, like, if they don't have a transfer quality embryo from their own eggs, that they would be ready to, like, receive a donor embryo. Um, And I see that really, from, like, a mental standpoint, really helping because I feel like it, like, eases you into donor egg in a way because you're like, I'm still doing my own eggs. And then you're like, kind of like agreeing to do donor egg without fully committing to it because you're still hoping that your own eggs are going to work. And then it's like, you're there and you're like, okay, fine. I'll just do the donor Mm -hmm. egg while I'm here. Mm -hmm. And then I, I really don't think people regret it after that. So I think that can be an interesting option because then you're minimizing the travel Mm -hmm. and still kind of keeping the door open for your own eggs, Mm -hmm. but you're going to like leave, leave the country with, some sort of transfer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, are there like other considerations for like policies in other countries or anything like that when you're going through some of this stuff? I mean, I know you talked a little bit about like the open ID versus not or versus anonymous, right? Because some countries will have a, a requirement. I mean, most, I mean, unfortunately, most countries still are anonymous, but some of them will give you, allow you, even though it's anonymous, like allow you to see the pictures and choose the donor. So right now, as far as I know, there's no countries that are actually open ID um, for the egg donor, but there's at least like in some places more agency. Um, But in the U.S., I feel like that's a big a big question and uh, you know i feel like the really the recommendations are that children want to know their origins and that whenever possible to try and use open id and it's just really a shame because i think it really just costs a lot more um and that's like that's just something that needs to change so that it's not making it more difficult for people to use open id donors mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how about if you're like an independent parent, like if you're doing this by yourself, do, are there considerations when you're looking abroad? 
Yeah, so there are some countries that won't treat single women. And I know some people who've gotten around that and have just said, like, oh, my partner isn't coming with me to the country. I'm going to come alone. Um, but I think it's tricky. It's tricky. So there are a few countries, not many. Um, but I, I, and then I think for me, it was really important to at least have the sperm donor be open ID. And so finding countries that will allow you to ship sperm in so that you're not just using whoever their sperm donors are so that I could kind of pick each, each part of the, the process and have at least one side be open ID was really important to me. Mm -hmm. Do you know off the top of your head? And I know this is kind of a loaded question too. Do you know if off the top of your head for like, um, solo dads or if, you know, same sex couples or anything like that, do you know if there are some countries with restrictions for them? I don't know. Um, I want to say Mexico's pretty open mm -hmm. in general. Um, although I guess with single dads, you'd need a surrogate. I think surrogacy is only legal in the state of Jalisco in Mexico, uh, and it's really complicated. Okay. Um, there aren't that many countries where surrogacy is legal. Mm. Um, but as far as I know, I have not heard many restrictions on the same sex piece of it. Mm, okay. Like that they're pretty open. Although I would imagine whichever country won't treat single women probably oh, might, good might point. have a similar restriction, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Um, okay. So you decide you want to use a donor. You decide you're going to go abroad. You find your egg donor. You get your embryo. You get transferred. How long... Is that pro like how long do you should you normally plan to if you're going abroad plan to be abroad for this whole process do you think rough estimate yeah i mean i i think um probably i mean to sync your cycle if you're going to pick a fresh donor it's about six weeks and then to arrive if it's fresh i would say a fresh egg uh transfer it would be or fresh embryo i should say um seven to ten days mm -hmm. max and then if it's a frozen embryo, probably, um, or a frozen embryo or from a frozen egg and you're not sinking your cycle, I don't know if you could get it down to three days, but like three to five. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm just thinking like for people, if they have to take time off work or if they have to do like yeah, multiple know. cycles or something like that, that might yeah. be kind of tricky. Yeah. It's definitely all stuff you need to factor in yeah. for sure. Well, oh my gosh, so much good information as always. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing. So if, and I'm sure this will happen, but if people have questions about this topic or if they want sure. to know more, how do they connect with you? Yeah. So I have been, um, planning to do an egg donor, like kind of intensive workshop where we go through kind of all of the logistic kind of stuff, go through the science and then really just like dive deep into that grief piece, like how to process that and how to kind of rewrite your narrative and get so that, um, you could check my website or join my mailing list mm -hmm. and get notified of that. Um, but best place to find me is motherhoodreimagined.com. So yeah, that would be the best place you can find me pretty much my podcast, my book, Instagram is all motherhood reimagined. Yeah. And do you, do you talk, you talk about the, uh, the experience in Mexico in your book as well? I do. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So if they want to read about that, yeah. they can, and your, where can they find your book? Um, anywhere books are sold. So you can go into any bookstore and ask for my book oh, yay. Um, and they'll order it for you. Or you can obviously go to Amazon or more independent booksellers. They should all have it. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Well, thanks so much for taking time to like share this like really interesting information. I had not even considered like someone had asked for uh, me to cover this topic. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. And I was like, oh, I know someone who will know. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I know someone who knows a lot about this stuff. So yeah. 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 Well, I'm happy. I'm happy to share my knowledge. So yes. I hope it's helpful for someone out there. And yeah. And I just did an, um, an episode on someone who donated an embryo to like another woman. Mm -hmm. Um, on my part, it's, it hasn't, it's not coming out yet, but, 
um, some more information on embryo donation on my podcast coming soon. Yeah. So people are interested in about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think yeah. that's a whole nother topic too. I want to explore is embryo adoption and stuff like that. I mean, you know, for some people, I think it's a really great option if, you know, um, other issues I had, um, I met someone that uh, recently, uh, maybe about a year ago, did embryo adoption and it it was the perfect option for her. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's another avenue I've looked at. Um, But again, Mm -hmm. I'm like, where do I start? I don't know what to look at. It's hard. Yeah. So that's the hard part about still being on this path is that I'm Mm-hmm. I still have no idea what I want to do, but the benefit of doing this podcast is I get to hear about all these you different, all yeah. This yes. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting too. Oh. So I'm kind of just yeah. taking notes as I'm going along also. So awesome. yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. If they, I hope you'll come back too. And maybe we can talk yeah, a little bit about, yeah, sperm donor selection and maybe, you know, selecting sperm banks. Cause I know that's another thing that may come up as well so sure yeah i know a lot about that as well i know you're like i'm like we've got enough for a few more episodes so yeah i know know. i'm like oh we could dive into embryo donation yeah dive into yeah totally i don't know that much about embryo donation but i do know some basics yeah Yeah. oh my gosh well i'm so excited yes thank you so much i really appreciate it and uh we will talk soon Okay, awesome. Thank you so much Thank you. for having me. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon. Bye.